Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's uh, return to our study of the Psalms of Ascent, these 15 Psalms that we believe Jewish pilgrims sang as they made their way up to the holy city of Jerusalem to worship. We've noted that as Christians, all of us are pilgrims, aren't we? We are travelers on a journey not to an earthly city, but to a heavenly city. And we've been instructed as they were to fill our journey with praise to the Lord. Even as we are realistic about the pain and suffering and the difficulty of the journey. And sometimes challenges, pain in life comes in the form of verbal threats and cynicism of the lost world. Sometimes it comes as very real physical infirmities. We know as the hymn writer did that the road to heaven is fraught with many dangers and toils and snares. And therefore it is important that our senses are in tune with our surroundings. When you're traveling in an area that you're not familiar with, it is wise to look around every once in a while. It's wise to listen for what's happening. It's wise to have all of your senses trained for the possibilities of danger. The Apostle Paul instructed believers to walk circumspectly in the world. And beyond behaving and speaking in ways that honor Christ, I get the picture when we walk circumspectly to circumscribe something is to go all the way around in a circle. I get the picture of someone having their head on a swivel. They're always looking in every direction for the possibility of danger, in our case of temptation. Well, I suspect if we were to rank the five senses in terms of importance to us, sight would be at or near the top of every one of the list in this room. That is true in the physical sense. We need to be able to see to get around in this world, but it's also true in the spiritual sense. We need to have eyes of faith. And that's what the 123rd Psalm is all about. And this morning we're going to examine what it means to live with eyes of faith. Let's read our text, Psalm 123. The psalmist writes, to you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid, to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. One of my favorite Old Testament stories has to do with seeing with eyes of faith. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. You're familiar with the story likely. You remember that Elisha was the prophet of the Lord. He had followed another great prophet, Elijah, who was his mentor. And when Elijah was ready to pass the mantle of leadership to Elisha, Elisha said, only if God grants me a double portion of the strength and power of Elijah. And you know that God answered that prayer and Elisha did some uh, wonderful miracles through the power of the Lord. One of the abilities that God gave him was to know the hearts of the enemies of Israel. And one of those enemies was a man who was the king of Aram and he would plot with his generals in his tent, 
battle strategies, but Elisha knew them before he did, and so he would warn the arms of the Lord. And finally, the king of Aaron became so upset that his battle plans were being thwarted that he accused his generals of being spies. He called a meeting and says, which one of you is for them? <laughs> which one of you is a spy? And they said, oh, not so, Lord, it's not us, it's that Elisha. He said, well, where is Elisha? And they said, he's down in the village of Dothan. He said, what are you doing around here? Let's go get him. And so he sent armies and chariots and horsemen and they surrounded the little city of Dothan and Elisha's servant went out one morning and he saw that they were in trouble. They were surrounded by the enemies of God. And so this is what he said. He came back in breathless, no doubt, to Elisha. And he said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I can imagine the servant peering out the door and saying, there's only two of us. <laughs> but Elisha saw something he didn't. And then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he might see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now God had sent his heavenly host and they were there the whole time, but only Elisha saw with the eyes of faith until he prayed for the servant and then he saw. Let's spend some time this morning together, can we, talking about seeing with the eyes of faith. The first thing I notice in this Psalm, Psalm 123, is that the eyes of faith are always focused in the right direction. He says, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. He's got his eyes turned up towards heaven. Now we know, don't we, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. David said, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Jewish people tended to think about the presence of God in Jerusalem, specifically in the temple, even more specifically in the Holy of Holies. But God made it clear, even when the temple was dedicated, he said, the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands. We can't confine God to architecture. But it is right to look up to heaven, not just this direction, but outside of ourselves. Because what we are trained and taught to do from very early age is that we need to look within for the answers. That is the mantra of secular humanism, that the answers are within us. If we can simply tap into that hidden consciousness or intellect or power, whatever that might be, that we could solve all the world's problems. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our help comes from the Lord who is above us and different and greater than any of us. Last week, we saw the 131st Psalm and David said these words, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And as I pondered this week, how is it that God says I can't be confined to a building and at the same time he says I'm sitting on my throne in heaven? How can God be everywhere and somewhere? But that's where the Bible says he is. He's everywhere and he's somewhere. And, and I leaned on Psalm 131 that some things are too wonderful to explain, that being one of them. But the right place to focus our spiritual eyes is up to God. But unfortunately, that often is not our first instinct. Our first instinct sometimes is to look backward 
at our experiences, at our education, at our expertise and lean on those things that we have accrued in the past or else, as I said, inward, somehow bubbling from within, secular humanists tell us is the answer to our problem. But, but really what happens to a lot of Christians I know when they're truly surrounded by trouble and cynicism and danger, they look downward at their feet. They become defeated. They become hopeless. And this is a psalm of encouragement. David is saying, look up. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago that we need to preach good sermons to ourselves. David did that in Psalm 43, 5, when he was surrounded by those who hated him. He said, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We need to remind ourselves to look up. Sometimes the Lord has to get our attention, though, to get us to look up, to get us to look away from ourselves so that we can see with spiritual eyes, the eyes of faith. There's an example, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament that comes to mind. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. You might remember that he was the king of Babylon, which was a great empire in the ancient world. In school, you probably studied the city of Babylon and its great architecture and its gardens. And one day Nebuchadnezzar went out on the roof of his house to survey his kingdom. And he said something to the effect, O Babylon the great which I have made. And he began to congratulate himself on his genius and his accomplishments. And God was not impressed with that. And to humble him, he said, I'm going to take away your senses. And he did. And he became a raving lunatic. He was forced out into the field. He ate grass like an animal until the Lord graciously restored his senses. And when he did, this is the testimony that Nebuchadnezzar gave in Daniel 4.34. He says, at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Now, if he'd have raised his eyes towards heaven to begin with, he wouldn't have been in that shape. But sometimes the Lord has to humble us to get us to raise our eyes towards heaven. He says, my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him for who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endure, endures from generation to generation. Now notice the difference. When, when the scene opened, he was on the rooftop praising Nebuchadnezzar and his dominion and kingdom. But after the Lord humbled him, he was praising the one true God, the creator, the sustainer. I recall a story about a young boy who uh, fancied himself a great preacher. And he was invited to preach in the church of an elderly pastor in the area. And he couldn't wait because he was going to wow them with his skills. And he was chomping at the bit. He couldn't wait for the last song to be done. And when it was, he bounded up the steps, opened his Bible, and fell flat on his face. Couldn't find his place. Couldn't keep a train of thought. This went on for about 18 minutes until finally he gave up and said a quick prayer, bowed his head in shame and went and slunk down in the front seat next to the old wise pastor. And after it was over, the wise pastor put his arm around him and said, son, he said, if you had gone up like you went down, you could have gone down like you went up. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord 
humbles us. In the New Testament, there was another man full of himself, young, upwardly mobile. Everyone said he was going to do great things. His name was Saul. And he was persecuting the Lord's church. And it was winning him great acclaim among his peers. And one day he's traveling down to the city of Damascus on a desert road for the purpose of persecuting the Lord's church. The scripture says, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, what a great irony this is. Did you see it? Though Paul, we know him now, was physically blinded for three days, during those three days, he saw with spiritual eyes for the first time of his life. He saw the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith are focused in the right direction, up towards God, away from ourselves. But notice also that the eyes of faith are trained on the right hand. Look at verse 2. He says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. The picture is of a throne room of kings and queens and you've seen those in the movies the the king is there on his throne and he's surrounded by guards and he's surrounded by manservants and female servants and they are at his beck and call he doesn't even have to say the word he just points in a direction and a group goes scurrying away that is the picture here God is the king. We are his royal servants. We are watching his right hand for any indication or direction that he wants us to move. And we are ready and anxious to follow orders. You see, when we have the eyes of faith, we are humble. Those servants didn't have any confusion about who the master was, who the king is. God is the master. We are the servants. We don't come making demands or claiming rights. When I hear people pray that way, I cringe. Lord, you must give me this. You must heal this disease. You must give me this job or you're not gracious. No, we're not in a position of leverage. We don't come making demands or claiming rights. We come as servants watching for his hand to move, to give us direction. But that doesn't mean that we don't come to him with confidence. Humility and confidence are not mutually exclusive. We are are confident because we are humble enough to know God is the master, and we know him. He is gracious and merciful and kind. He delights, Jesus says, to give the kingdom to his children. We have the right to come to him and make our needs known to him. Not because of anything good with us, but because we are in Christ. Theologians call that the mystical union. How can we explain that in the eyes of God the Father, he treats us because we are in Christ with mercy. Romans 8, 1. 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, because he accepts his son and his sacrifice and his resurrection, we now have the right, not only a right, but an invitation. He invites us to come with boldness into his presence. See, the ancient Jews could not go into the Holy of Holies. Only one representative, the high priest, and then only one day a year. But we can come anytime and all the time to the Lord. And we should come with confidence, but also with expectation. See, the Bible teaches that God is merciful. He's not this great ogre or miser that we have to pry open the hands of grace to get anything that we need. He's ready and willing, prone to meet the needs of his children. We expect him to answer our pleas of mercy. And understand, this is a plea of mercy that we're reading here, Psalm 123. It's a prayer, in other words. Did you know that you don't have to use words to pray to God? Sometimes our need for God's help is so great, we can't even form words. John Trapp was a Puritan pastor from the 15th century, and his writings greatly influenced another preacher years later named Charles Spurgeon. And Trapp once wrote that there were certain times in his life that he found himself unable to pray aloud. He said, because, quote, mine afflictions having swollen my heart too big for my mouth, end quote. Have you ever been there? Maybe there's some in this room who are there right now. Your afflictions, your pain, your hurt has swollen your heart too big for your mouth. You don't have the words. They won't come. But you can still pray, loved ones. Lift your eyes to the one who dwells in heaven, who hears your prayer, who knows your heart. Spurgeon said that our eyes are as fit an instrument for prayer as our tongues. Just lift your eyes to the Lord. He knows your heart. This psalmist specific grief that he notes here in the 123rd Psalm is the fact that he finds himself surrounded by scoffers and sinners, those that don't love his God. Look what he says in verse three. He says, be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. The culture in which surrounded Israel hated the God of the Bible. They laughed, they scoffed. I, I get the picture of Nehemiah when he came back from Babylon to rebuild the walls and to restore the temple worship. And remember, as they were building the walls, they laughed and they mocked, the enemies of God did, and they said, if a fox jumped on this wall, it would fall down. And the intent was to devastate them psychologically. And if David and if Nehemiah were surrounded by scoffers and sinners, dear friends, so are we today. Those who say our God is not real. Those who tell us that what we put our faith and trust and hope in all these years was a lie. And don't be surprised. God told us it would happen. Second Peter 3, Peter says, In the last days scoffers will come with their scoffing, saying, Where is the sign of his coming? That's what people are saying today if you're paying attention. They're going, you Christians have been saying for 2,000 years. 
that Jesus is going to return for the church. It hasn't happened. Give it up. It's not going to happen. And Peter says that's exactly what the scoffers of Noah's day were saying when he was building the ark. Where's the rain, Noah? It's not raining. You keep telling us it's going to start raining. No rain. Until one day it started, didn't it? Did you see the storm we had yesterday? Rain was blowing horizontally right into our front door. And I thought for 40 days and 40 nights it rained. Even as the jeers, the taunts of the crowd were still echoing in Noah's ears. The point is this, Peter's saying, don't give up, Christian. They were scoffing in Noah's day. They're scoffing in our day. But the rain came and one day Jesus will come. Jesus is coming soon, dear ones. Keep on looking up with the eyes of faith. Well, thirdly and finally, the eyes of faith are persistent in their gaze. Again, verse 2, he says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master, as the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Note this, until he is gracious to us. This is persistence in prayer. Even if it's a nonverbal prayer, non-audible prayer. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, taught them to pray persistently, didn't he? And he gave the example of that widow who went to a judge and just wore him out with persistence until he gave her justice. The point is that God's not a judge like people who get worn out through persistence. The idea is that he's your heavenly father and he loves you infinitely more than some wicked judge. He is going to answer your prayer, so don't give up. Keep on looking with the eyes of faith. Look unto the Lord until he is gracious to you. Look with the eyes of faith, in other words, and, and keep on looking. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. He said, forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. That is, he, he's focused with laser-like precision on the finish line, and he is determined to run hard through the tape. Did you see the young man a week or so ago from Texas A&M? running the high hurdles, and he was about uh, three feet behind going down the home stretch, and he was running as fast as he could, and he got within two steps of the tape, and he was still about three feet behind, and he dove like Superman <laughs> on the hard asphalt, but he won, he won the race. Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for many years, and the temptation is to limp to the finish line or put it in neutral and hope you coast in on fumes. Some of you are just tired and want to sit down and quit. Press on towards the mark of the high calling. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember Peter in the New Testament. He's in the boat, and they see the Lord Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, and he wanted to do some of that. And he got out of the boat, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could do it. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and put them on his feet, he sank. What a great metaphor of seeing with the eyes of faith. 
Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is set before us as a great example. He sat down at the right hand of God, but not until he was finished his work. He did everything that the Lord had sent him to do. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect righteous life. He went to the cross and died a satisfactory atoning death on the cross. He was buried and on the third day he rose again, victorious over death, hell and the grave. And after 40 days he ascended into heaven where the scripture says now he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. But he didn't sit down till the job was done. And so, Christian, the encouragement for us is to not stop until the job is finished. And your job is not finished until Christ comes or he calls you home. As long as there is breath in your lungs and a heartbeat in your chest, keep on looking to Jesus. Keep on looking with the eyes of faith. Helen Howarth Limo was a hymn writer and a poet. And one of her hymns is in our Baptist hymnal. And it goes like this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying in his perfect salvation to tell. And turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. She's talking about viewing life through the eyes of faith. She's talking about when you're surrounded by dangers, toils, and snares, not looking backward to your past experiences for help. She's not talking about looking inward as the secular humanists do. She's talking about looking upward to Christ who is our life. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, the 123rd Psalm. And Lord, what a great reminder it is that when we're surrounded by scoffers, when we're surrounded by people who have contempt for our faith and for our God, that we're not alone, that we can come with boldness into your presence and persistently pursue your help until you send grace. Father, we are grateful that uh, you are not miserly with your help. 
You shower it upon us. You tell us when we need wisdom, ask and you'll give it. Jesus said that he you rejoiced to give us the kingdom. And so Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, forgive us when we're downtrodden and downcast and hangdog and defeated. All we have to do, Father, is to look up. Help us to turn our eyes on Jesus. Help us to keep our gaze on his right hand. Help us to be willing and ready and anxious to move the second he gives us direction. Lord, I want to pray specifically this morning for our senior class. We're about to go out into the world and for many of them for the first time in their life, their faith is going to be challenged. The things they've been taught here in this church and in their homes, Lord, will be ridiculed and scoffed at. The temptation for them is to go along with the world and reject what they've been taught. And Lord, I pray they would not do that. I pray, Father, that you would surround them with your angels. Help them to see, Father, that those that are for us are greater than those that are for them. Father, help them to see with the eyes of faith. Father, I pray for all of us, some, some of us that are growing older, and we've been a Christian a long time, and we're tired, and we're just about ready to quit, and we're either going to limp to the finish line or coast in on fumes. Lord, would you give us supernatural power and energy to run our race and run hard through the finish line, Lord, even if we have to dive at the tape. Now, Father, I would pray if there's a lost soul in our presence today that you, by your Spirit, would convict them of personal sin and guilt, convince them of your perfect righteousness, and Father, remind them that one day there is judgment awaiting. By your power, Lord, I pray that you would uh, prompt them to turn from their sin, grant them faith and repentance. And Father, give them boldness to come and be a part of your church. And Father, I pray that in the weeks and days ahead that you would grant us all that strength and power that only comes from your spirit. And when we're weary and ready to quit, Father, help us to remember this song. Help us to look up to you from whence comes our strength. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.